0: Welcome to another episode of That's A Rap Podcast. I'm your host for today, Jay Rosales. Usually I'm a co-host, but I've told Dre and Jason to, to take a seat on this one. We've got a special guest with <laughs> you today. He's a former, as you know, actually with Raptors HQ, we are part of the SBA, SB Nation Network. Mm-hmm. And an alum of that network, of this network, the NBA former NBA editor on SB Nation, Mike Prada, is going to be joining us today. But even after that, he's currently the NBA editor over at The Athletic. But more important than all of that, he's got a new book <laughs> coming out called Spaced Out, How the NBA's Three-Point Revolution Changed Everything You Thought You Knew About Basketball. Mike, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? could not be better I like I said I, I kicked the other two guys out I want you all to myself yeah, I was gonna say you, you kind of like you, you kind
1: of ran an iso there I see yeah I
0: did I did uh, I'm definitely not following the principles that you laid out and spaced out uh, I spaced yeah, you do more of those
1: you're do doing one of those pascal Siakam endless back down spin move things
0: this is why I'm wearing the pascal as you can see <laughs> in, the, in the video the, the listeners can't see but I'm wearing my pascal Siakam shirt but yeah, I mean, let's let let's dive right in here. I mean, this this book, spaced out. I imagine it's a long time coming. Like, how? Mm-hmm. Where do we start with this? How, how? What motivated you to write the book? Like, how have you been working on this?
1: So, I actually got the pitch from Triumph the day that SB Nation furloughed me, which was uh, in April of 2020. Uh, And they said, hey, we're looking for something to do kind of like how do you watch Basketball Smarter type of book. Um, They had one for football. They have one for hockey. uh, And they wanted to know if I was interested in doing it. Um, And, again, like the timing could not have been better given that I was about to, you know, I I kind of assumed that I was going to be gone for good. But then that was the case. Uh, And then, yeah, it kind of developed into this idea, you know, I outlined it out. I, I've been thinking about it through for a long time. You know, I think um, it, it's just sort of much more interesting to me than sort of me just being kind of coming from high above and being like, here is how you watch basketball. <laughs> um, so we kind of refined the idea. They were really happy with it. And I uh, took the better part of, you know, what is this? This is like by August, 2020 is when I signed the contract. So we're now what almost it's took a better part of two years. Uh, maybe a little less than two years to write it. And yeah, that's kind of what it was like. Um, I turned the draft in, in March of wow. this year, we'd finished some graphics that I don't know if you, you yeah. haven't, I don't know if you've actually picked up the book yet. I think I just sent you a digital copy. Yeah. Um, but they're the like their either. graphics. Yeah. their graphics I was working on until July and now here we are. So um yeah, that's kind of the, the cliff notes version of the journey that I went on.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, as 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 you kind of uh, alluded to, you did send me a copy of, of one of the chapters, and I was blown away by the detail and the amount of information you have here. I mean, it's 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 not a surprise because I've also been following along with your work when when you were writing uh, on, on SB Nation. So it's great to see it finally in a hardcover form. Yeah, um, was, yeah. This, was this was something that you've always kind of dreamed of, like having a no a published book absolutely.
1: I had no, I didn't think I was going to write a book at all. They yeah. pitched it to me. Um, yeah. So that may, I mean, obviously the, that's, a, it's really a, an honor that they're interested, but yeah, I had to almost reverse engineer the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't know what I was going to do <laughs> when yeah. I got furloughed. I was, yeah, I did a newsletter for a while, you know, obviously now I'm at the athletic uh, as one of their NBA editors. So, but yeah, no, it wasn't, it wasn't really on the radar at all. No, it right. was something that they pitched to me and, I had to kind of retroactively kind of go through like the whole process. I mean, usually you have a pitch and you pitch it around to a bunch of different publishers.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: that was definitely not the case here. So I think it's a very different scenario than what a lot of people who write books do go through.
0: Mm, right. And, and in terms of incorporating it into your daily life, like you're, you know, as you mentioned, NBA editor over at the athletic, how, how do you balance that? Like, how do you make time right. for it?
1: Well, I guess the, the good news is that I took the athletic job after I finished the book. So I think that's probably uh-huh. the easiest way it got, <laughs> it got balanced. Um, but yeah, no, it was um, not easy at all. But, you know, it's it's the same, the same way you balance like writing with, you know, doing editing on basketball in general. I mean, my approach to all this is like I watch a lot of games because that's what I'm editing too. Like I right. – Part I like to say like eighty percent of editing happens before a a writer even starts writing. To me, like because it's so much about like kind of refining ideas, talking through what you're seeing, trying to strategize like kind of how you go about a piece. And to me, I've always had the approach that I can't do that as well if I'm not watching the games themselves. I mean, I'm a little obsessive about it, but I think it's I think it's skill to that degree that they're complementary. The skill set, so right you know, that's kind of how I've always approached it. So in some ways it's all at the same time. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I don't think I could have written a book and had two kids under five and a full-time job, which I didn't at the time. So right. that's the best way I can answer that question.
0: Yeah, no, that that's that's, that's a great answer actually. And it really does paint a picture in terms of like what you had to kind of go through in order to yeah. book, right? And I guess along those same lines, uh, like what was your, I guess, what challenges came across while you, while you were writing? God,
1: where to begin, man? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, again, like I, I would say that, you know, it was a, di- it's a very different process than most books because this isn't like kind of a, you know, you're inside a season with a team or something like that or whatever. I mean, in some ways the hardest part um For most people, but was probably the easiest part for me because my editing background is just kind of figuring out what the structure was going to look like because there are so many different ways to go about this topic. You know, this is a humongous topic. And so I think a lot of writers, you know, the hard part for them would have been like, where do I, what am I trying to say? How do I build into this? That part of it was a little easier for me because that's just what I do normally. The harder part for me was, and I, you know, writers say this all the time too, but I think for me, what was challenging is that the actual writing just was, it, it's hard when you don't see an end in sight to right. a lot of it. When also it's such an idea-based book, mm-hmm. you know, that you almost are, there's a lot of doubt you run into. Um, and for me, at least is the way I write, like... I'm not the type of person that like writes off on tangents. If I feel like I'm losing the plot of what I'm saying, like I get anxious. Like I feel like I got to be on the road. So that was hard. You know, writing a book requires to some degree losing yourself in the process, and that was not so easy. Um, there were definitely certain chapters that were harder to write than others. I would say the one I sent you was probably among the easier ones because it was the last one. <laughs> um, Less- there was some word in
0: in terms of like word count or less in terms of the
1: last chapter. it's the last chapter oh
0: okay
1: (laughs) it's that and then the conclusion right right okay so the whole book builds to that in a way Mm -hmm. but no there was a passing chapter that was really took a while to write because i was trying to connect a big idea so you know combine that with sort of inspiration for your ideas comes at random times but your schedule is pretty set when you have a a family like I do in that sort of setup. And that was probably the biggest challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just, I mean, you write a piece, you write, you put it out and it's out. It, the process is so much for feedback you get is so much faster for this. You, you know, you're kind of like writing to, I mean, nobody's going to ever see it. So, yeah. and that's the hardest part I would say. I mean, I don't think that's too different, but I think a lot of writers, the idea the structuring was the hard part and the writing is a little more comfortable perhaps if not easy then at least more up their alley and for me it was kind of the opposite
0: yeah that's very interesting to hear because i i don't have a journalism background and whenever it comes to me writing my pieces i i come across a similar issue when it comes to um idea-based pieces right and for me, I fall back on, okay, if, if I'm running an idea and I, I feel like it might not be interpreted the way I want it to interpret, I lean on stats and I lean on something to back me up that's more rooted in in, in analytics. Yeah. Is that something that, that you do or is there is there something else that you kind of lean on here to help you out with this? No, ideas? I mean,
1: you've all seen like kind of the, the way I write. I mean... I, 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 it's, it's. You gotta be clear to the idea to me. Like mm-hmm. I, I always tell writers this: like you're on a highway, and you're trying to make sure that you don't give the reader any reason to get off. Right. So whatever tools you use to develop your idea or to tell your story, um, you just can't let them, you can't give them a reason to jump off, unless mm-hmm. it's like kind of a link to your other thing. So if you're staying true to where you're, what you're, like I would tell, I, I just edited a piece a feature that we wrote where I remember telling the writer, um, okay, I want you to write three characteristics that you want to make sure you get across about this person Mm. and just pin those to the top of your story as you write. And that's kind of the way I try to approach it. It's like, you know, you have to have a North star you're writing to.
0: Um,
1: sometimes I think, you know, and, and I actually see this more with the type of stuff that I do or people who do stuff, like I have done where you're kind of, you end up letting the stat or the film speak for itself, but like Mm -hmm. they're tools for you to manipulate. You are the storyteller. And one of the things that I think is hard for people to deal with in the moment is this confidence of like, kind of you're your own narrator, you're your own kind of curator. And that's kind of what people are coming to you for. And for me, it just, you know, over doing it so much, you know, coming through the SB nation apparatus, it just was a little more comfortable for me. Um, Mm -hmm. I think the big, the, the, the stress point is, is perhaps less, you know, will the reader get what I'm trying to say and more like, am I following through on what I want to say? Right. And that's kind of more where the stress point for me comes, but you know, it's like any other skill, you do it a lot. Um, once you kind of realize, I think that like every other, whether it's a stat, whether it's a you know clip, whether it's, just an argument they're all just sort of tools for you to kind of make the point you're making the, mm. the key then has to shift to am i like am i saying something that is clear like it, it, is my elevator pitch for the story clear if you're if that is the case i think it's much easier at least for me to kind of go down and build out from that um yeah. and i think a lot of writers instead sort of go the other way where it's like they have they try to write their way into what they're trying to say and i just never have operated that way and i think that's kind of the key yeah, it's better to make a narrow point broadly than a broad point
0: narrowly. Right, well, that's how I've always approached it. Again, very well said. Uh, there was one point there that you, you brought up that really uh, sparked something here. You, you mentioned about the the example of bringing out three characteristics and needing a north star. Did you have a north star when you were writing this? Like, was there a specific? Uh, Concept a team a yeah player that that you were kind of leaning on here I
1: think that that was kind of what helped for me yes I mean the number one north star was just I mean it's in the intro I know you don't have the book but like right. to me the the story this story is about something relatively simple it is basketball was played in this surface until mm. 2014 is again massive oversimplification but <laughs> this is sort of how I thought of it and over the span of literally less than a decade. Went to this surface, right? I'm like, I, yeah. I guess, I guess the viewers can't see me doing this, but you know. So to me, <laughs> and it, it literally, folks. <laughs> yeah. The literal the literal concept was the playing surface was doubled, so it's a different game when you have the playing surface is much bigger, but you haven't added more players. Like that's to me, that was what the main idea was. It's like I don't think we think of it in those terms because we think about like three pointers and we think about you know, we almost like kind of dance around that point with how we talk about basketball, especially with length and wingspan and just all this stuff, um, spacing, whatever. But that's really fundamentally what happened is and to me, to, uh, to remember that that was the main point, made it a lot easier for me to kind of flow through. And again, I set my outline early. That was the part I spent. Because in, in, in a book like this, again, you can go in so many different directions. It's really important that to, I found that like, you have to kind of know, you have to kind of know the structure and, you know, there were some tweaks that were made along the way, but for the most part, it was that idea. And then the idea was, we're going to start historical, start big with big questions, go to the schematic, and then go to the player um, skills, skills and player body type stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was the structure. And for me, that having, that was my North star in that case. Um, and it certainly helped and in some ways, the North Star maybe inhibited me more than it helped because I was almost so worried that I was going off track. Sometimes you need to have a little room for spontaneity, and that's not my <laughs> strong suit. But uh that was how I yeah, I definitely did that in this in this case, no question.
0: Well, I mean it's, it's interesting that you know you mentioned that that the chapter that, that you had sent me was actually the last chapter because you you could definitely fool me and say it was the first chapter because everything that was written within within that chapter definitely pointed towards that north star so it was obvious throughout there so yeah i could offer that
1: that, well i appreciate
0: that that.
1: yeah i i I tried to think of this and like i had a one of my old editors at Espionation, paul who's paul flannery would tell me this on a feature i wrote once um if you think of it as like kind of three 600 word stories instead of one 1800 word story it's a lot maybe it doesn't finish like that right but if you think of it that way it allows you to kind of each of them has to have its own narrative arc mm-hmm. and then you can kind of fill, figure the theme that connects it all together. And so to me, I just sort of th- thought of each chapter as its own chapter. Mm-hmm. I mean, it sounds really basic, but like that's step one within that. I think they were always in my head, like sort of three or four different sections. I kind of looked at it as like I was writing 12, Like from the start, I looked at it. as like, I was writing an extra long giant blog post rather than something <laughs> other, something else. Right. Um, but, so, yeah, you do have to segment it. And, and I was – again, this is where my editor brain comes into play in a positive way. Mm-hmm. In a negative way, it comes into play when you don't get that flow of writing. But in a positive way, I think – to me, like, it's just more intuitive to kind of write that way and then connect the threads that way. Like, I was – my my head is already looking for where are those moments because that's how I read stories mm-hmm. um, for other people. It's like if I, I – those are the points I'm looking for. So, yeah, I mean – And that was always very, to me, like it did also still have to build in itself. You know, some of the the themes that are discussed in the chapter I sent you are themselves. I mean, James Harden leads that chapter, but we talked a lot about James Harden before we got to this point. We have already had moments we explain the step back three and why that was such a big deal. I mean, the whole book in a lot of ways is centered around the Warriors and Rockets. Uh, and their rivalry, right? Um, that's a whole chapter, but it kind of is a big theme throughout the book. So we've already th- we've already gotten to the point where we've shown like kind of how James Harden's normal style works, and now this chapter begins with a moment where the league has caught up to it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But it, I mean, again, to your point, it's still that chapter still had a general idea. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, that part of it, I'm glad to hear that. I mean, that was definitely the intention. <laughs>
0: Right, right, and and you know it's funny because when when you bring up the the Warriors and Rockets, I, I can't help but think about you know just your overall synopsis of of the book itself. In that, a lot has changed in a very small amount of time. I think about that Warriors and Rockets, and yes, it was only a couple of years ago, but it does feel like a whole different era ago because now. We're wow! Really?
1: About, even even so. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's what, crazy.
0: What, I mean, and and I'm gonna link this to what the fans want me to talk about, which is the Raptors, and mm-hmm. that is this this we call it here Vision Six Nine. This everyone yeah. is the same size and length, but you speak about it in the chapter, right? How like the Raptors and also the Heat come about this a bit differently in terms of like defensively, right? There's this scramble yeah. the cover, right? Um, can you can you
1: Yeah, I mean, um, just so the Warriors' Rocket's Point first, just to kind of provide some context to that. I mean, I call it a holy war in the book. That's what it is. Mm -hmm. Because it's the seven seconds or less sons are the first team that comes around and, like, kind of plays this sort of open, three point heavy pace and space style. And it's like kind of their style splinters into these two sort of sects of the religion. The like warriors are the art sect about it's about movement and so this flexibility and running in, and running around all the time and the three point line to them is a chaos engine as much as it is a place to just score more points mm-hmm. and then the rockets are just like man it's worth more points out here <laughs> like we got to shoot more of these right it's like the art versus science of it and so their rivalry to me kind of shoved the whole league forward you know because and I call it a holy war because they really sniped at each other I don't think that they. I think they both respected how good each other was. Um, And certainly I think the Rockets respected the Warriors' greatness, but I think the Warriors very much did not like how the Rockets played. And the Rockets very much did not like the focus on aesthetics. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And there was, I mean, that was a rivalry. You know, We'll think of the Rockets the same way we think of the 90s Knicks in a lot of ways in terms of this foil for the team of the era. Um, But yeah, I mean, just to illustrate the point, I mean, like, the Warriors, I think, in 2015, shot like 31 threes a game, and you know that would have ranked number one, and that was by far number one in the league that year. The I wouldn't remember if it was 15 or 16, one of those years. Yeah, be 28th last year.
0: Yeah, it's so
1: it is kind of crazy. Now to the Raptors' point, and and the subject of this chapter is sort of like okay, so if the surface is doubled, and this is why it kind of works as a last chapter, the surface is doubled how do we defend the surface that's doubled with the same number of players? Mm -hmm. That's really what it kind of comes down to. And, you know, there are a lot of different ways that that was done, but what was interesting about the way Toronto and Miami did, I I point to the 2020 season, the year after the title, um, the year after Kawhi leaves, where for the longest time, there was a really strong correlation between how many threes you allow and how good your defense is. And that year, for some reason, and it it was a total outlier, it has not, you know, it has not replicated in future years. The opposite was true. The Heat and the Raptors in particular, but the Bucks as well, just in a totally different way. That the teams that allowed the most three-point attempts were good defenses. Yeah. And Toronto and Miami were two of those. And those it's like everything we thought we knew about this, it's actually the opposite. And so what are they doing? What they're doing is they've kind of Collectively, through their combination of sort of zone and man and all this flexibility on defense, they've kind of turned rim protection to a five-man game. They they do it. is a little more conservative about it. Toronto was like a little more insane with like how, how much they ran around and the length. But the idea is like we're going to kind of on every potential drive, five guys are going to kind of sink recover, sink, recover, sink, recover. And it really opens up when you combine that with all the zone stuff that they were doing, it really opens up defense in the modern era as this idea of we're collectively closing different spaces higher up the floor, but we're doing it together. So it's almost like man to man and zone are are Mm emerging. Why is zone so much more popular now? Than it was before because it's really not that different from man to man that's kind of the argument if you think about where that's going and obviously toronto from an identity standpoint is leaning very much into this with every with what you described the is it Vision Six Nine? I feel like I, I fucked this up in a in a story I edited once. Um, Project Six Nine. I think I said Project Six Nine. Vision Six Nine.
0: Both, both work. Yeah. I think we tend to use Vision Six Nine a bit more, but Project Six Nine also works. Yeah. That's been it's an okay. interchangeable thing.
1: I might have, I might have said Project Six Eight too. I don't remember. Anyway. Um, yeah. I mean, for them, it's very simple. Like you know, these guys are long. You cover more space with arms, and you do it collectively. That's the. They're almost like kind of. Conducting a a huge science experiment with it, with like everybody being this long. So, yeah, you know, it's interesting to see sort of what the pluses and minuses for that are like for them. You know, they do have this very idiosyncratic style. They are really good defensively, or at least they were last year. This year, they've been really good offensively, but it's still a very small sample. Yeah. Um, Do they. Like, what are the limitations? I mean, you saw that a little bit in the playoffs. I know there were a lot of injuries that screwed that series up. But, yeah. you know, they didn't have someone to guard Joel Embiid. They didn't really have somebody to guard Tyrese Maxey. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting to see them kind of just be like, you know, no, this is what we're going to do. Like, we're going to push the envelope here. Maybe they'll be this generation's Rockets, hopefully more successfully
0: to no, bring perspective. The, I was going to bring up the exact same analogy, actually, with with when you think about the... the the holy war that you're referencing, and there's there's almost like a, a sliding doors effect here, right? If the Rockets win that series instead, like what does that do with the landscape of the NBA? The Rockets, yeah. If if Kawhi resigns with Toronto, maybe we never see this Project Six Nine or this this spacing of. Uh, sorry. Uh, Scrambling, covering, right? Yeah. So
1: I, I would say they probably wouldn't have leaned in as much, but I, I mean, I would say that they, they were playing similar style defense with like Marcus Sol just uh, patrolling the back line too. I mean, but you're right. It probably wouldn't have been as overt.
0: Yeah, yeah. and, and I so, would agree with you. So So then I guess when it comes to how the teams are, are changing towards the spaced out era... Do you, are there specific teams that you feel are are ready for success? Like they're, they've kind of adapted to this new era mm-hmm. and are ready for success.
1: You know, what's, what's funny is I think what's happening now and we're almost like kind of at the, like, kind of maybe over, I would say since the bubble, mm-hmm. um, I thought the bubble was a pretty interesting kind of stylistic moment for the league, even though, you know, a lot of people find it to be fraudulent. In a way, it was almost like the Warriors won again when you look at the teams that advanced, like teams like that were just kind of spread and stand in that bubble, like kind of fell apart, you know, whether it was Houston, the Clippers, uh, to some degree Boston, although obviously they made it to the conference finals. Um, they lost they lost to a lot of teams, Milwaukee at the time. They lost to a lot of teams that were more cutting heavy. And what I think has happened since then is that that was the kind of peak of, okay, we now use the spread era, the spread era. Now it's more the space area because you're finding more teams that are actually trying to pin you in a little bit more on the baseline. Toronto is a great example of this, although
0: their offensive rebounding is down this year, I believe. Um, they, they flipped the switch. They've gone instead of offensive rebounding, now they're number one in defensive rebounding and – uh, number one in protecting the ball. They've they totally flipped the switch again this year.
1: Yeah, we'll see how long that
0: lasts.
1: Yeah, yeah it's a short tempo. Um, nice. But yeah, is <laughs> an example. Actually, you know, one of the the real turning points of the book, if there's a like kind of a third main character of this book, it's Milwaukee and Giannis. Um, mm-hmm. One of the big turning points, I think, for them in their success uh, was this embrace of the dunker spot that happened after the loss to Miami, where they said... All right, we can't, this five out thing, like it's a good thing to have. But if we play a team like Miami and they're just going to kind of move their wall up to the free throw line area through this kind of in out, in out, collective defensive approach, and to a lesser extent, frankly, Toronto the previous year when they lost, we need to now put a guy down in the, the baseline, the dunker spot. We need to find a way to move that wall back. And if we put a guy down there, then they have to follow us there. It's a like kind of reminiscent of a strategy I talk about with George that George Carl did a while back, where he would put a player out of bounds. Um, that's also in the book. I don't want to spoil oh, that too I remember much. Remember that. Uh, I
0: remember that though. Yeah, uh, we,
1: we put a guy there. We a our offensive rebounding more, but really what we're doing is we're kind of making it so that you have to push your wall back, and then by the time you had to step up to. Get to Giannis; it's too late. He's just going to dunk on you. So, I think you're seeing more teams kind of take that approach, of almost like kind of pinning in the defense, mm. so that if you're spreading out, they can't as easily kind of move their wall up as well. Like, kind of, are you a soccer fan? I, I watch a little footy, but not not a whole lot. Okay, so it's sort of like kind of Miami, Toronto sort of play like kind of the equivalent of a high line on defense, right? Where they're they're closing that space up there. It's kind of the the analog. So like, this is like, kind of running a guy in from behind or kind of throwing long ball over the top. It's sort of the, the adaptive move. And I, I think you're seeing more teams take similar liberties there where, you know, if we can kind of do that, if we can drive and we're just sort of, we start spread out, but then like, kind of, we like, are like kind of pinning you in, whether it's through our movement, through our drives, through the way we pressure the rim, we crash you off as a glass more, um, you can't run as easily from this pinned in position if we miss and, you know, and, and if we're taking shorter shots, this kind of full court strategy, I think that's kind of something you're seeing a lot more Memphis is another team that does a lot of this. Um Now, obviously, they spread out a lot to get to the rim, but once they get there, they pound it, they go mm-hmm. bam, bam, they, they, they really attack it. Um, and I think you're, you're seeing some more teams do stuff like that. I mean, New Orleans this year is kind of another example under Zion. So in a weird way, the floor is reconstructing, but I would argue that it's not because you still have the outer limit of your spatial alignment is way up by the three-point line. But now you're also taking the guys you know, that maybe were just in the corner shooting threes, and you're pulling them now closer to the basket, underneath the basket in that area, you've creating that space and then – and then again, you're jamming the rim and kind of pinning people in. I think it's um it explains a lot of why offensive rebounding is back up. Yep. And from that perspective, again, Toronto is very much like kind of the like the zealots of the era. And it's gonna be interesting to see like to what degree they moderate to succeed. Uh to what degree do they have to moderate to succeed? Mm-hmm. I think it's very encouraging that they're third in offense this year, um, because offense was a major problem. Because like can they get some of the benefits of you know, pick and roll play and, you know, all the spatial stuff out on the floor while also still maintaining the identity of pinning you in. Right. You know, so far it's looked pretty good and we'll see how that goes in the future, but that's
0: the goal. Yeah. And, and a, a part of that, that off that rise in the offensive rating, the, the three point shooting has, I, I think they're ranked six in the NBA in three point shooting. And that's one of those things where Raptors fans are just waiting for the other shoe to drop. Like, we weren't anticipating that three-point shooting be this well-developed with really just internal development, not really any other than auto Porter journey. There's not right. really...
1: Right. And he's been injured in front of the been injured. So, yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So it's, it's, it's one of those things where we're kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop, but we'll happily take where they're currently at. Um, you know, when, when it comes to thinking about what the, the future is going to lie for Toronto, I mean, mm-hmm. There's a lot of hope here, right? There's, you know, you outlined a lot of great points in terms of like where the NBA is headed. And a lot of the things I, I can't help, but take keep my Raptors hat on and see, yeah, you know what, the the Raptors are doing a little bit of this, a little bit of that. So uh, very encouraging stuff. Uh, I I did have one, one, one other question for you regarding the book and and how this is going to be for you moving forward. Now that you've, it's out there, right? Like you, you've put your blood, sweat and tears into this release was a few days ago. Uh, do you yeah do you have that uh itch to write another book or let's see let's see how this one does (laughs) honestly
1: i'll say this like i i'm really happy being an editor again um yeah so i I don't know like that was a decision i made to kind of go back to that side of my work um Mm -hmm. i think there's you know there's a lot of ways I can help more people that way and you know look we'll see again we'll see how this one does I think that was kind of the the main sort of thing I mean definitely would consider it down the line um but you know we're all vain people we want to make sure that like what to your point like what you what you were saying earlier about you know I want to make sure that I like people understand what I'm saying so I want to put some fact like that anxiety I mean it's it's kind of multifold for a book right so we'll have to see but you know it wasn't easy so i i don't know i mean again if i had a i think if if i were to do it again i think i'd have to it'd have to be a little bit but yeah sure we'll see i guess (laughs) um I definitely have no interest in pitching stuff around right now. <laughs> um, I'm pretty happy with uh, you know, going back to the editing side. I think helping pe- writers improve, I think it's, it's really important. We have a lot of great content producers in this world, yeah. um, but I don't know if we have enough people that are really guiding them day to day. And I think that that's something that I think this industry needs, whether it's here or there or wherever. Um, so I feel really strongly about that. And I think I can make more of an impact that way right now but you know we'll see
0: yeah well i mean i gotta say like I, i've already ordered the book i'm just waiting for it to arrive it's absolutely worth everyone's time to to read and pick up um i'm imagining you can pick this up anywhere amazon indigo anywhere really right sounds um, about right in definitely. person
1: yeah go to your local independent bookstore if you can oh absolutely just, just support them uh, but yeah you should be able to get it anywhere at this point at least I yep. hope so. I have to see if it's stocked. Ain't <laughs> well, doing that, that's for sure.
0: Well, you know, that's the publisher's you know, job. That that is that is true. Um, so, Mike, I just want to thank you again for taking the time out of your extremely busy schedule. I know first week of a release is definitely busy. Uh, for all the listeners, the book is called Spaced Out: How the NBA's Three Point Revolution Changed Everything You Thought You Knew About Basketball excellent book from what i've read so far i can't wait to read the rest mike thanks again for for joining us uh and you know good luck on on the rest of the sales that are surely to pile in on this book thanks for joining us i hope so thank you thanks for having me